You're listening to Design Aloud by UX Studio. We are here to have a conversation to discuss topics related to UX design and research, bringing both areas together. In today's episode, we will share our experiences with different prototyping tools and the related issues we are currently facing and what could be the future of these softwares. My name is Sean. My name is Adam. My name is Benna. And our guest today is Shandor. Hi, guys. Who is a project designer at Copyfolio, a website building tool. Welcome, everyone, here. Okay, can you introduce yourself a bit, Shani? What yes. is Copyfolio and what are you doing there? Okay, so as you mentioned, Copyfolio is a website builder tool aimed for copywriters, content writers, ad copywriters, and so on. And uh, basically what we do is we are trying to introduce a new segment to this website building market where you have big tools like Squarespace, which are really good, but also complicated. And you have smaller tools, which are really like profiling and social networking tools like LinkedIn and so on. And we want to introduce a website editor, which is easy to use, but you can create real websites with it. So that's what I'm working on right now as a product designer. And uh, actually, I'm doing a lot of stuff uh, next to just designing. Basically, it involves a lot of prototyping. That's good to hear. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I can talk about what I do and why I do prototyping. Um, so um, in the product team, uh, it helps us out like a lot. So next to next to user testing, for example, it's really good to just put a prototype together and pitch ideas to the team because that's how we work. We have a product meeting um, where if I have like an idea, I can share it with the team and it's uh, it makes it a lot easier to have a working prototype because I can show what's happening on this screen and that screen. It's much easier to imagine. So it's good for pitching ideas. Then obviously it's good for eliminating a lot of extra development efforts. So if I design something and later on uh, during the user tests, it turns out that it's not working well, it needs a little bit of improvement. Obviously, it spares a lot of time because we don't have to go back. And other than that, what I found really good, uh, what I found really interesting is that it's really helpful during handover because it's much easier to hand over the flows, the states and whatever, even with like, with like low fidelity prototype, because it makes it much easier for the developers to understand what's happening and where. So we have a lot of reasons why we do prototyping and it's really heavy in our team. And in the product team, you mentioned that you're doing everything alone. And how can you manage the the tasks uh, alone? Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, it's uh it's it's really hard and i think that uh in this team where we have uh, a small team it's a developer a marketer our ceo david and me as a designer it's really hard but it makes it a lot easier that now i have one single uh, actual prototype file that i basically just upgrade every single time so i don't have to create a new prototype every time i just have to upgrade the existing one with new features and that makes it so much easier to manage my time because I don't know if I have one week or two weeks for doing this and that, I know that I have a prototype on hand, I will just have to somehow implement this in in the prototype. So that's one thing. And the other is that um, 
what I actually have to do is I have to somehow decide how to implement stuff. So I can go like really crazy with Axure. Uh, I talk about this a lot in the company. I really like Axure. So you can go crazy. You can do uh, really weird stuff with it. Basically, you can get pretty close to a real prototype. Uh, Sorry, a real product. Uh, But on the other hand, if you don't have time for that, you will still go with linking basically PNGs together because it's so much quicker, but because it's integrated within like a greater uh, product prototype, which is really big and has a lot of features, it just goes well and users don't usually notice it. Yeah. Um, so you started with your with your product uh, team, right? So you were there from the get-go. Uh, did you start like the whole prototyping Exure thing from the beginning or did you just like start with I guess Figma prototyping because you design um, all the you know like shiny design stuff in Figma you have the design system in Figma as well did you start with Azure like was it like the first choice yes for me but the thing is uh, but but the thing is uh, it was like a smooth transition over the years so first I started with I guess Envision uh, where basically you just exported PNGs and screens and you link them together. And then I switched over to Sketch and then to Figma. And then I was introduced to Axure. And um, that's where something clicked with me because I had out of, out of nothing, all of a sudden, like conditions, values and stuff. And uh, I just started using it. And uh, even before I joined the product team, I realized that you can actually prototype games in it. So it was like... He's a gamer. Uh, yeah, I am. Uh, I'm an actual gamer. Uh, so, uh, so, so yeah, I started prototyping games in it. And then when it came to uh, actually prototyping Copyfolio, it just made sense to start it in Axure from, from day one. So you said that you used Envision, so you were part of the downfall of Envision, basically, right? Yeah, it's it's a good title of that era. Uh, Yeah, I mean, um, yeah, it it was an interesting, uh, it was an interesting timeline because Envision uh, really, I I think at least in, in my time, Envision introduced me into prototyping. And um, it was the only tool that I know I, I, ba- I basically knew of, and um, it was really weird to see that how time just flew over them, <laughs> and uh, all other all, all the other prototyping uh, softwares came out like Marvel app and and everything added just one more thing, and then um, Figma and Sketch started to introduce their own prototyping. Uh, features within the design tools and I just felt like InVision just somehow went into the dark left behind yeah 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 what's your experience with InVision guys like not a lot actually I don't know Sean actually I started off with Adobe and also what's the Adobe one called XD yeah Adobe XD and also InVision so the Envision, actually, I found that I had a lot of issues linking up different screens, different elements, and especially that you'd be halfway through a flow, and then at some point something could change, something was not linked, and it was a lot harder to then find those little noodles to then reconnect. 
I think Adobe XD was a lot easier. I think from a design background of being in, let's say the other uh, programs in there, it was very easy to pick up and to use. And then progressing from there into, I have to say Figma, not Axure. <laughs> mm -hmm. it's, it's interesting. I'm, now I'm looking at InVision uh, website and a lot of companies still uses it, like IBM, American Express, so maybe there is something in it still. That or uh, I don't want to put on the tin tinfoil hat, guys, <laughs> but maybe they just left the logos there. It can happen. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Um, yeah, but for example, I, I, I think that it's an interesting timeline for uh, InVision and just this kind of prototyping where you link screens together, because even today uh, you use it, and I'm looking heavily at Benna. Uh, Figma prototyping. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, you yeah, basically uh, link screens together. Yeah, link screens together. Yeah, um, so I Come guess... Come on, don't start with that. Come on. Yes. So I guess uh, a lot of times uh, Figma is enough, right? But for certain flows, actually is much better. And I and I had this uh, I had this problem, this uh, fiasco with Figma that I needed to like connect, I don't know, like 120 screens with like... Uh, 500 to a thousand anchor points and it was like a you know these these animation anchor points and like it was just too much and I was just connecting these points until like until like three hours later and then I was finishing uh, finishing it it was really gruesome and in actually like uh, Shani said to me because uh, we we closely work together uh, that it would have been like half an hour in Azure and I was like yeah well <laughs> F this basically. Uh, I need to I need to learn Azure, but at the time like Figma was enough for me. This is like the first time I had such a hard thing to prototype for a for a for an interview for like a user test. So yeah. Okay, I have a question actually um, that I'm going to open up to you guys. What is prototyping used for? I mean, uh, I talked about it, uh, why and how we use it in the product team. But I think um, I think the main reason why you do it is basically uh, to save time. Because I think that obviously you do it to actually test the features with users and, and get feedback. But at the end of the day, it's just to save time because developers could... And save money. Yeah, yeah, basically. Yeah. Time is money, so <laughs> yeah, the great equation. So uh, yeah, developers could basically develop anything, but at the end of the day, it's it's just so much easier to uh, to put it together in a prototype. Yes, I agree. Actually, that it's good to save time. Um, I also think that it actually comes in at like the start of the design phase, or not the start, but like midway through, where you have lots of ideas and you want to narrow down to like an initial direction or an established direction. Um, what, like how do you deal with, okay, so this is going to like you two guys, like Benny and Adam, how do you deal with client expectation of prototypes and how to set it? Um, well, if I may start, uh, yeah, I, I don't know, like it's, it's, uh, it's not easy, and not not uh, not only the the client expectation, but also from the user uh, expectations. So um, 
And my experience is that the clients are okay with that because clients, I guess, okay with saving time and money. Um, but for example, I've worked on a product that uh, that had a target audience um, uh, like kids. So kids were the target audience. Um, and for example, kids doesn't re don't really understand what a prototype means actually, um, which makes it hard for a researcher to um, to do the usability tests because they need to explain so that what is a prototype and and you know you cannot um, you cannot tap on everything you cannot do every interactions that you may want to do in an actual uh, digital uh, product. Um, so it makes it hard, but with the client, I don't see that big of a problem because if we explain it to the client that prototyping saves time for you and time equals money and you don't have to develop every features and then redevelop it because maybe it, it won't work, then I think they will understand it. Yeah. So something I should add to it is like in terms of client expectations, like the maturity in UX of a client. So like how well do they know UX? How well do they expect us to uh, have like a lot of research uh, and not just design in the sky basically? Like that comes before an actual design and a prototype is built, right? So because we start with the research phase always, if the client isn't keen on that phase, like having actual researchers on the project, like then the whole thing of prototyping and doing user tests just falls apart, right? So client expectations start with them needing or understanding why they need research at the first place. So I would, I would approach it from this point of view. I mean, from what I heard, because I'm not working on client projects anymore, but my experience is basically the other end of the spectrum, Adam. Really? Yeah, because Obviously, I never worked with kids. Uh, I, I, I didn't have any projects like that. However, I had clients who weren't really that mature in terms of UX. And I think that uh, a few years ago, uh, it was a bigger deal to have research and prototypes and stuff. And even when we, when we went to uh, huge clients uh, like uh, Hungarian banks, for example, we, we went to them and we explained all of this to them. They were like, Wow, that's mm. that that's pretty groundbreaking and and look at them now. They all have their own UX team and set up. Yes, yes, yes. And uh, and back then it was a big deal. I feel like nowadays it's much more mainstream. But in my experience it was really hard. The the hardest part was to make them understand that a prototype is not the final design. It's obviously for a reason. It it looks like that for a reason. It's it's just a wireframe, it's linked together so we can see flows and, and stuff. And in my experience, that was the hardest in terms of client expectations to make them understand that it's for us so we can work out the proper flows and it comes before the UI design. That was my... my, my, my yeah, I, I think so. Kartik is not here with us today, uh, but uh, he I remember he's he was saying once um, that his client didn't really understand why there are no colors in in the prototypes, 
and he had to make it very clear that it's only a prototype we're just testing the structure and the flow and we're not testing with the full shiny design elements yeah um, my favorite question is when they ask why though and make the logo bigger <laughs> yeah but i think it all comes back to what benna said uh that first it starts Uh, the whole process starts with basically uh, getting um, this this domain knowledge together, like like just measuring how um, mature your client is in terms of UX. And I think that uh, with client work, prototyping is obviously like a big uh, big issue. You have to educate your clients about prototyping if they're not really aware what are they used for. But actually, it's it's more like part of uh, the client work to to work with a client to set this up because you you have to deal with prototyping and recruitment and design and stuff. But you also have to deal with education. So you so you basically have the chance to avoid you know those weird meetings where you have to explain in ten minutes why it's it's just but it's just lines. It's just lines. Where are the colors? Yeah, but like what you started to say uh, starting to say this is on on us like this is on the designer the researcher and the whole agency to to get this information out there or to the client so it's it's not their fault that ux maturity yes. is not like a staple in every corporation that's why we are there that's why we are why there we're for doing them this to podcast, solve the, yeah the, to solve their problems um how hard it is or how easy it is is on the client like how how open are they to newer or like i don't know like more functioning uh, systematic things you know like this design mm-hmm. thinking that we have uh because they might get the feeling that okay this is just adds two whole weeks or three or four or five or six weeks to the whole design process like that's money right so uh, as a designer you have a quite a hard job a lot of the times to like explain to them that that this is not not just playing around like this is yeah really you, ha- you need part this for your process yeah. yeah of course because you can actually like technically design something out of the blue right but that won't be the same quality because you don't know uh, a lot about either like the brand the domain knowledge and all of the other things that the users might just open your eyes to um yeah it's a really interesting and hard process to get to like in the client's head but if it happens then that makes the whole product like much more uh, enjoy uh, enjoying and like much easier for the for the user as well yeah but it's been getting easier i think uh so i mentioned that uh in the past few years it became more and more mainstream uh to you know have an internal ux team or at least know what ux is and why prototyping is needed and uh, I also wanted to mention this whole shift um, where this whole uh, low fidelity prototyping, I mean, in my experience, got a little bit, you know, less frequent and less frequent and, and, and so on. So, for example, in my case, I basically prototype almost like the real thing with the real uh, UI. And that's because for me, um, it just makes sense to reuse all the buttons and uh, input fields and whatever in, in, in Axure, which are at this moment at least uh, really close to the real product. I don't know what's your experience in that, but I feel like 
this low fidelity prototyping is getting less frequent. Okay, so from what types of prototypes there are, in terms of the process, like how, I can open this up to all of you, like how do you start off from wireframing and then how often do you go straight into fully or high definition ones? Okay, so I think uh, since there are a lot of design systems out there, like the high fidelity prototypes, when, when you start with them, uh, are closely connected to like if there is like a UI kit or a design system because if you have the actual buttons to put there in like a second like why would you start to you know wire things up in I don't know like balsamic or something uh, Shani you have like a really complete and really robust design system for Copifolio uh, and Archifolio um, what what is your what is your point of view in this because you know as we said like wireframes low fidelity, high fidelity, but you are always doing high fidelity uh, prototypes, right? Yeah, it's uh, it's because what you said, that if you have the buttons, if you have all the tools you need, it just won't make sense to basically uh, tone it down, water it down, so it's just low fidelity. I think it comes um, with a different process, so if you don't have, for example, branding, or if you don't have the product at all, it just makes sense to start with lines because you don't know uh, the colors, you don't know what fonts uh, you're going to use. It's it's not relevant at that phase. But if your product is developed and you have like, a, I don't know, even like a tone of voice guide or uh, anything like that, a design system and stuff, it just makes sense to, to use that. So from my point of view in the product team, it's really uh, convenient to use high fidelity prototypes. But I think that if a client comes to you like tomorrow, for example, and uh, asks for a completely new product that's not basically uh, anywhere at the moment, it, it doesn't exist, you will have to start with like the lines and the low fidelity stuff. But I also wanted to mention that um, a few years back, uh, a dear colleague of mine mentioned, uh, he came up with this uh, 3D graph basically, where you had different axes for for the basically the fidelity, and uh, he mentioned that basically there's a that there's an axis for uh, interactivity. So how interactive your prototype is, how responsive it is to the user's interactions, and then you have the UI fidelity uh, if you put shadows in there and colors. And then you have the complexity, basically, uh, if it if it will basically work with different filters and stuff. So you have all this going on in just one prototype, and I think that it depends on what you're using the prototype for, basically. Was it easy, uh, by the way, uh, to build this whole thing up in Azure? No, my answer is no. So I started out with uh, with. Uh, a really high fidelity prototype in terms of UI, but in terms of complexity and interactivity, it was like really dumb. And after months, how uh, long? How long did it take to? I to mean, like one and a half years. Like, like at this point, that prototype, that file is one and a half years old. So uh, it takes a lot of time to build it up. And actually, we could also talk about at this point. I think why Axure is really you know, it, it, it has like a steep learning curve. You have to put a lot of hours into it uh, so you get to that point where you can conveniently prototype anything. Um, what's your take on it, by the way? Because 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's a very nice tool uh, for designers to, to create prototypes, but I think um, in some cases it doesn't work the effort and the time to, to learn it. It's not very user-friendly from my point of view, but... From any let point me, of view. So <laughs> let, me know, let me know if you don't think that. Um, so it provides a very nice, like... Uh, tool uh, for for designers, but for me the learning curve is is quite long to to take the effort. But I will with Chani, by the way. But uh, so, but but still. Yeah, just to give you guys some context, I had this uh, brown bag lunch at the company where I basically presented this copyfolio prototype to the company. And uh, some of you guys had this idea that wow, this is it's pretty good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, so some of so some guys approached me to uh, basically start. Uh, l- let's do this and start a course and um, and let's introduce them to Axure, and um, and I think that in most cases it just makes sense to use Figma. E- even even now, uh, for example, if I, I mentioned in the beginning that prototypes are really good for pitching ideas. I don't use Axure for that. It takes too much time, basically. What I use is Figma. So, for example, we were Bana, we were ideating together today, and uh, yeah, Figma is pretty good for that because you just wire st- uh, stuff together and you can ideate how it should go on and how it should uh, get to the next stage, where the button should be, how it should be animated, for example. It's really good for that. So, I think Axure mm-hmm. is more like it's a, a tool for more complex stuff where uh, I mentioned these axes. And uh, if you have to create something that's really complex with multiple uh, stages and and, um, and multiple filters and stuff, you have to go with Axure. But if you don't need that, just the other two, uh, UI and interactivity, you can also go with Figma anytime. Yeah, like if you want to, want to have like fixed interactions uh, for your prototype, then Figma is there for you. But I guess like you needed Axure and you need Axure at the moment as well because like you're making uh, a portfolio website editor web application, right? So yeah, these interactions, these behaviors cannot be mimicked with fixed interactions using Figma or just the file will be like, uh, you know, breaking basically. <clears throat> So by the way, as I mentioned, I think that the learning curve with uh, with Azure is pretty long, but I wouldn't say that with Figma. It, Figma, it's it's a uh, it's a little bit easier, but it's still like a long way to go when you can fully uh, like say that okay, now I know everything in Figma because it's still going on for me. So I always learn new and new things um, how I could uh, work in Figma differently than a year ago, for example. So I think the learning curve could be very long for every program, but uh, um, for me, Azure is the, the one that, uh, I don't know. Yeah, can, can I have uh, a two minute rant uh, about prototyping? Sure. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I just wanted to mention that um, this whole uh, case, basically, where you have Figma and Sketch and other prototyping tools on one end with very simple prototyping features, and you have Axure on the other. Um, I don't think it's healthy for the design community because uh, 
on one end, you have the freaks like me who really love to go uh, into too much detail with Axure. But on the other end, you don't really need that, like 80% of the cases, I think. Uh, for example, in the service team, I don't think that it's needed more uh, than that. Uh, I mean, Axure, like more complex prototypes. Uh, but I feel like that Figma and Sketch and all the design tools have some sort of responsibility to educate designers about prototyping because they have like the basic stuff in there, but I don't feel like they encourage you to go in that direction and explore prototyping a little bit further. And my example, my point would be that, for example, Figma introduced uh, auto layouts and auto layouts are pretty good because they mimic how the web actually works. They mimic divs and uh, they mimic how uh, an HTML code is, is built. And it makes it so much easier to work with developers and, uh, and explore that part of, of designing. But I think the responsibility should be there as well with, with prototyping. They should introduce something uh, that makes it easier uh, so you can understand prototyping, explore prototyping, if, if, you, if you get what I'm, yeah, what I'm yeah. trying to Especially, point out. Yeah, because it, if, if you're doing something wrong with auto layout, for example, then you, you have to like look into how you, it, it's going to work on top left or that or anything. It happened, I know, bene, bene. It's looking at me always. <laughs> what happened with Autolayout and me? Like, we are the best friends, basically. I love Autolayout. I was making logos with Autolayout as well, but that's like some lunacy, basically. Yeah, um, but you explored it. Yeah, and that, that's my yeah, point. Yeah, yeah. Um, but like, from a business point of view, like, why would Figma encourage, like, you know, it's <clears throat> tinfoil hat time as well. Like, why would Figma encourage, like, a more in-depth prototyping uh, I don't know, like future for designers, mm -hmm. if their own platform doesn't really support that. If I think it's like an economic class at this point. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's just theories and, and, and stuff. But uh, what I wanted to say is that they build basically like an all-in-one tool, right? Like you have uh, designs there, by the way, you have libraries there. You have prototyping in there, you have commenting and inspecting, and basically everything is in there. So why not? I mean, at this point, uh, in the product team, uh, we use Figma for everything, basically, except for the, the, the large prototype, which is in Axure. I'm not sure about you guys, uh, but what, what do you use on clients, uh, client projects? Figma, Figma only, um, or FigJam, maybe. Yeah. Oh, by the way, and there's FigJam. Yeah. So I mean, I, that's the only one. Like, yeah, and research and platform um, documentation. Yeah, you, you don't have recruitment in there yet, but yet, but but still, I think the prototyping is one aspect that they they have to improve on. Um, but I think we already talked about this. Why they don't do it? Because you said like there are other things uh, that that is like ahead of uh, or like you know uh, could come earlier um, but I don't know what like what is more important for us right now as designers as to have um, a, pro a, a good prototyping feature in Figma yes 
Yeah, so like I guess as an all-in-one platform or like a, an all-in-one all platform to be platform, uh, you need to prioritize on these features like FigGem. Like if FigGem didn't come out, like Figma would have have the time to focus on prototyping or focus on uh, fixing those bugs that we always just rant about with Shiny. Yeah, but, but at the same time, like you need, need to prioritize on new features or like implementing features that I know, are but good I, or that are shiny for for the target audience, right? But so I, it's not that easy. Yeah, but that's the, that's the thing I'm saying. Like, I think that's a priority or that should be a priority to have a good prototyping. Uh, yeah, that's what I, I try to say with this, that they have a responsibility to enable us to explore more in prototyping because I, I fear that if you just, you know, tuck it away, put it in a different tab and whatever, you won't encourage designers to explore it in a way like you explored auto layouts and created fucking logos with it. So Yeah, that's true. But I feel that for the majority of UX work, Figma's prototyping is enough. And yeah, so to go to your question, um, on client projects, I will use Figma for designing. Then <clears throat> once it gets to a certain level, I will then go into either like Webflow or then into Framer. I think it's nice to keep a difference between having like a design set up somewhere and then having a prototyping elsewhere. I don't see the benefit of actually combining all of these into one program because they'll be taking on way too much that will then influence us to like the primary effects which is then just for us like a design tool that's what i think yeah i i, I see your point and i i'm also a little bit fearful of this whole expansion of figma that they try to do everything but i feel like because a large portion of designers are basically logged into this ecosystem now I feel like still that they have the responsibility to encourage this. And I also wanted to point out this whole uh, market ordeal that on one hand you have Axure, which is really good, but it's really complicated. And on the other hand, you have Figma, which is enough for 80% of the prototyping. But then where do you do, do like the exploring part? I mean, there's like a small percentage of designers who want to go for Axure because they want to build games and... Uh, they're they're weird and they want to experiment but you i i think you have to enable this so they want to go there and want to explore more so in the in a company uh in the service team we have like dedicated squads to do research about different topics uh related to design and there's one that is uh that is one of the very interesting ones uh, is accessibility in mind. So how to design or prototype um, with accessibility in mind. And I think that's a very nice um, or a very interesting topic to um, to explore uh, how how can you or how or when you do a prototyping um, for uh, folio then do you have anything uh, yeah, like this or yeah so i think that uh that's why i really liked uh Axure, for example because it uh basically forces you to think about uh shit. so again 
Uh, that's why I really like Axure, because it forces you to basically think about accessibility aspects. So uh, in Figma, for example, you design stuff, you wire it together, and that's it. But in Axure, you have to think about focus states, for example. And because uh, Axure uh, actually spits out an HTML code, um, it will basically support all of what HTML is, is good for in terms of accessibility. So if you press tab in a prototype, it will actually move on to the next, mm. for example, text field or button and whatever. And because it's there, you have to think about it uh, like consciously in terms of design that, oh, shoot, I will have to design uh, the focus state of this, not just the text field, but the button and uh, even other stuff like um, simple text, which can be pressed or whatever, because it's there, it forces you uh, to do that. And I think it's a great aspect of Axure, which is missing not just from Figma, but from any other uh, design tool with prototyping features, at least to my knowledge. So we can even talk about Framer or, or Sketch, and they just don't have it. And um, with Axure, you're forced to think about that. And the other aspect is that uh, it's not only fingers that you can do interactions with. You can click on stuff, obviously, but what if uh, a user navigates with something different? What if they use a controller? And I'm not even sure if you can technically uh, wire a controller to, to Axure or uh, Figma, I, I don't think. I, I'm, I'm, I'm quite certain that you can do that. But you have to design for those people as well. And I think you, uh, and I think we talked about uh, huge issues in prototyping and that's one of them. Uh, it's it's just not there. You don't think about it because it's it's not supported. It's not there. You can't wire a controller to uh, the actual prototype. And I'm not saying that uh, a website editing tool should be uh, controlled uh, by by an Xbox controller or whatever. But there are many apps that should support this feature, and you should think about it as a designer. What about uh, accessible uh, animations? So like scrollable animations, you know, like uh, parallax scrolling animations that they use um, on a lot of websites. And I have like a, a resource or like a, a quote about this, or it's like a study um, in a poll displayed on that article about 28% of users reported having either mild or serious motion sickness with iOS 7. This is not a formal study, but still makes quite a, a mm -hmm. statement. And this was uh, from 2013. Mm -hmm. I think prototyping has uh, a huge responsibility in this because this can be like a pretty good example of where it could have went wrong. Mm -hmm. So if you think about it, um, Basically, uh, if you prototype all the animations, not just in Axure, but in Figma or whatever, and you test it that way, you can get to these uh, issues. You, you, you can basically just catch them before they're developed and uh, not hear about them like uh, 10 years later. <laughs> so, so I think prototyping uh, and ex uh, accessibility are pretty much interlinked in this topic. So prototyping technically is testing the behavior of the user when facing the product, right? So, and since ac accessibility and uh, 
seeing these patterns, these behaviors with uh, um, with with people with like accessibility issues, I guess. Like that's some prototyping as well. Like you cannot really just test it with just the visuals. Of course, like something like the color and the contrast, you can. But if the design is in motion, like you need to have these uh, figured out before development because that's like a behavioral testing as well. Yeah, and I also wanted to add a shout out to Apple. You can't put a toggle switch which says reduce animations in there and just call it a day. It's not how it works. You should prototype the animations and, and uh, do studies with it because it's not just Apple, it's it's anything. If your product is used by, I don't know, 100,000 people a day, you have to pay attention to that. Okay, so a special thanks to our guest today, Shani. Thank you for having me, it was really great. And for more information about UX Studio and Copyfolio, you can find the link to our website below and please don't hesitate to get in touch with us. Please follow us on Spotify and LinkedIn to get notifications about when our next episode will be out. Thank you for listening to us and see you next time. See you next time, guys. Bye. See you next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.